Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, Harvest. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Andrew Watkins. I have the privilege of serving here at Harvest as an associate pastor. And uh, whether you're joining us in person or you're tuning in online, maybe from vacation, it's July 4th week. Hope you all had a great Independence Day uh, celebrating. Uh, but we're glad that you're spending some of your Sunday morning with us. And uh, let's go ahead and get into God's Word together this morning. So if you would, uh, go ahead and you grab your Bibles or your phone or whatever it is that you uh, tend to use to get, get your eyes on God's Word. And would you meet me this morning in Jonah chapter 1? I know it's not a book that we uh, turn to often, but if you need a little help getting there, it's, um, it's about two-thirds of your way through the Bible, uh, somewhere between the, the big Old Testament books of, of Psalms and Isaiah. But if you've gone to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to throw it in reverse and head backwards. Uh, but we're going to be uh, in the book of Jonah the next four weeks, as Pastor Dan mentioned last week. We're going to hit the, the pause button on our Step Out in Faith series through Hebrews 11. And uh, we're going to work our way through the book of Jonah, and then we will wrap up Hebrews 11 uh, in August. Uh, but again, Jonah chapter 1, even if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I would really encourage you and invite you to follow along with us so that we look at God's Word together. There's a couple of ways you could do that. You could just pull out a phone and, and Google Jonah 1 ESV, and it'll pop up for you because technology technology is awesome like that, or for most of us, maybe that'll work, I don't know, uh, technology is, I have issues with technology, so I don't know if I can successfully get there, but I trust you, I've got faith in you, you can make your way to Jonah chapter one uh, with technology, or we've got some paper Bibles in the back that you could use, and if you don't have one at all, we would love for you to just take that and keep it as our gift to you so that you have God's word. But Jonah chapter one this morning, uh, and even if you're still making your way there, I just want to pause and, and go to the Lord in prayer again as we head into God's word and we start this series again now. So would you pray with me? Father, uh, we are uh, undeserving of your grace. As we've sung this morning, uh, you are a God of grace and we thank you so much for that. We praise you for that. As we look to the book of Jonah, that is really a story of your grace, uh, I, I pray that over the next four weeks, we would uh, just be uh, completely captivated by the God that you are, that pursues us and comes after us by your grace to change us, to use us again in your grace. I believe that every single word of, of scripture is inerrant, inspired by your Holy Spirit. It's profitable for us for doctrine and for reproof and for training in righteousness. And so we just ask this morning that we, we need you in this moment that you would uh, come and be moving among us to, uh, to challenge us, to encourage us, to equip us, but ultimately to change us by your grace to look more like your son, Jesus Christ, who is our savior. That's in his precious name that we pray this morning. Amen. Well, I'm assuming that you probably know the story. God said, go. Jonah said, no. You probably know about the storm, the, the ship, the, the great city, the, the fish, and, and all of those things. You, you probably know all about that. Scholars debate the book of Jonah because as they look at, at the book of Jonah, just four chapters, they can't understand how, how God could be working so much in just a short span of time, how many miracles could be happening. So scholars debate the book. At the same time, kids love this book because it's so vivid that you can, almost, you can almost see Jonah getting on the boat. You can almost like, feel the splash of the water as he gets thrown in the office. You can maybe hear the fish spitting him up on the, the land, hopefully not. But it's so vivid that, that kids love this book. But how many of us actually understand what the book of Jonah is about? What would you say the book of Jonah is about? Maybe, maybe if I were to ask you what the book of Jonah is about, you'd, you'd say, well, it's a, it's a great missionary adventure story that got completely derailed by a rebellious prophet. Maybe. Maybe you'd, you'd say it's meant to be a helpful reminder for us to share the gospel with people that we don't like. 
maybe. Maybe if you're honest, you'd say, look, I, I know the story, but, but I, 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 don't, I don't know why it's in the Bible. It's a great Sunday school, Sunday school story and all, but, but I have no idea what it really means for me. Like, I get what Jonah did. I understand the story. I understand what happened, but I'm not going anywhere right now. I'm not running from anything. I'm not like cashing in my frequent flyer miles. I'm not quitting my job and, and, and running from anything. I, I'm here, like right now. So I, I really have no idea what this book has to do with me. See, here's the thing. Running from grace has far more to do with the condition of your heart than it does with the location of your feet. You can be running from God and never leave your house. You can be running from God and never change a single thing about your life. You can be running from God and keep pretty much everything in your life the exact same to the point where everyone around you would have no clue that anything is going on at all. In fact, you can be running from God and be sitting in church right now. You can have a heart like Jonah's heart and, and never physically run, never get on a boat, never do most of the things that we see Jonah doing in this book and still be running from God. But the book of Jonah is not primarily about your heart or my heart or, or Jonah's heart primarily. Primarily, the book of Jonah is about the God who's after our hearts. It's the God who's chasing after our hearts by his grace. So, so no, the book of Jonah is not about some great fish. Like that infamous fish is only mentioned four times in this entire book. It's not about the great city that, that Jonah was sent to either. Like Nineveh is only mentioned nine times in this book. It's not really even meant about Jonah, even though the book bears his name. Jonah's only mentioned 18 times in this book. This book is about God's grace. It's about the gracious God who's after the heart of every single person everywhere who's ever lived at any time, including you, including me, including us, including the person at work next to you, including the person who lives across the street. It's about that God who's after us. In just four short chapters, Jonah's mentioned 38 times more than, uh, God is mentioned 38 times more than twice as much as Jonah is mentioned. G. Campbell Morgan, a 19th century pastor and close friend of two of my heroes, D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon, said about the book of Jonah, he said, men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they've failed to see the great God. Now, over the next four weeks, my prayer for us as we journey through the book of Jonah is that we would see the God who's after our hearts, that we would grow to love him more and, and just bask in his grace that is pursuing us in, because he's a gracious God. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea for us, our, our, our one sentence overarching theme of, of Jonah chapter one, little tied all together for us. Our big idea this morning is that God graciously pursues us even when our hearts are far from him. Again, that God graciously pursues us even when our hearts are far from him. See, in Jonah chapter one, we, we see Jonah literally running from grace. And as we watch him run, I want each of us to consider whether or not maybe we might be running from God ourselves this morning. Again, the passage before us this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna be looking at three attitudes of a heart that's running from grace. And as we do that, here's my challenge to you this morning. As we look at Jonah chapter one, I wanna challenge you to continually be asking yourself one question throughout Jonah chapter one this morning. I wanna challenge you to ask yourself the question, am I leaning into the grace of God that has been given to me in Christ Jesus or am I running from it? Am I running away from it and, and, and rejecting it? Can we handle that assignment? Can we, can we do that this morning? Well, let's go ahead and jump in. Jonah chapter one, here we go. Here's the first attitude of a heart that's running from grace. A heart that's running from grace is disobedient to God's word. A heart that's running from grace is disobedient to God's word. 
If you have your Bible, your phone open to Jonah chapter 1, I'd invite you to look with me at Jonah chapter 1 in the first three verses. Here's what it says in verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You know, we don't know a whole lot about the life of Jonah himself, and like 99.9999% of what we do know about Jonah is found here in the, in the book of Jonah. But one thing we do know from elsewhere in Scripture is that this is not Jonah's first day on the job as a prophet. He's also mentioned in 2 Kings 14 as having been used by God during the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel. My point here isn't that, that, that Jonah is some like, irreplaceable, super essential employee in the kingdom of God, because he's, he's really not. That's not the point here. The point is that Jonah had been faithful in the past. He'd served the Lord before by standing and speaking for God in in a difficult place. He'd had the privilege of watching God at work up close and personal earlier in his ministry. So so when the word of the Lord came to Jonah here in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we could safely assume that his obedience would be automatic. Like that's what we would hope would happen. But we're familiar enough with the story of Jonah to know that that's not what happens because here's the thing, just because you've been faithful in the past doesn't mean you're being faithful now. So here's the call to Jonah from the Lord, verse one. So the, Lord of, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, arise, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. God's call to Jonah was crystal clear. Basically, get up, Jonah. Get up and go to Nineveh and start preaching because their sin, it's, it's come up here. It's, it's right in my face. I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm seeing it. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. I've had enough. And so you're going to be my messenger. You're going to go to Nineveh and you're going to tell them what they've done and how it's angering me as the holy God of the universe. At least on the surface, this should have been like a dream assignment for God's messenger. It should have been something that, that Jonah jumped at the opportunity to be God's messenger to Nineveh. Nineveh was a major city during Jonah's time, located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River in uh, what is uh, just across from what is now Mosul, Iraq. At one time, it had been the largest city in the world as the, as the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Like, it's an influential city. This is every church planner's dream to, to go to an influential city to plant a church, and God's even called it. Like, this, this is to be something he jumps at. The problem is that Nineveh was a wicked city. It represented the very essence of prideful human self-exaltation. Its people were violent and brutal, not to mention the fact that they're they're Gentiles. And not only are they Gentiles, but they're Gentiles from from a nation that is the enemy of God's people. To put this into perspective of of some more modern terms that we could understand, what God is calling Jonah to do here would be like if it's shortly after 9-11 and he called you to go to Afghanistan and start preaching to Al-Qaeda. Or it would be if, like if, if God had called a Jewish preacher to go to Berlin, Germany in 1936 to confront the evil wickedness of the Nazi party. In the eyes of, of Jonah's own people, going to Nineveh would have made him uh, somewhere between an uh, 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 unpatriotic at best and an absolute traitor at worst. So it's understandable now why, why Jonah would hesitate a little bit, why this would make him a little nervous. 
It makes sense why he wouldn't want to go. But remember, Jonah has seen God at work up close and personal before. Like he's experienced serving God, seeing God work. And so, so there's no reason for him to doubt that God wouldn't do that again. The question is, regardless of whether or not Jonah likes the assignment that he's been given from God, will he obey? Will he set his own wants and desires aside and do what God has clearly commanded him to do? Will he remember who his master is? So God told Jonah to get up and go, and verse 3 says that Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. He packed his bags and ran. Apparently, Jonah's going to try to do the impossible because verse 3 says that his plan is, is literally to run from the presence of the Lord. And for starters, like Jonah should have known that's impossible. Like, really, Jonah, like this is your plan? You're going you're gonna to run from the presence of the Lord? Like, he would have known what Psalm 30, 139 says. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Like he knows that, that fleeing from the presence of the Lord, the Lord is, is not going to work out so well for him. But, but, but apparently Jonah's theology wasn't being put into practice. What he knew up here wasn't impacting how he lived. God told Jonah to start walking east towards Nineveh, but instead, Jonah went down to the port city of Joppa, and he found a boat and got on that boat heading west towards Tarshish, which is over 2,000 miles in the opposite direction in southern Spain. I've always loved a good commercial, and I think maybe one of the, the best commercial campaigns of the last a couple of decades have been the, uh, the Southwest Airlines Want to Get Away commercials. Like I'm sure we're, we've probably all seen those a time or two. Like in case you haven't, though, or it's been a while, usually what happens is, is some person that's going through the, the normal routine of their lives or doing something pretty normal ends up in this, this awkward situation where they, they want to escape, escape through, through cheap airfare. And so like right at the right time, the narrator comes in and just says, want to get away? And then, of course, the, the prices come up and it's like you can just get on a plane and, and go. Like one of my favorites is there's this guy and he's at, a, at his friend's house and he's in the bathroom and apparently he's snooping in their medicine cabinet and the whole thing comes crashing down. And, and then you hear the, the homeowner knocking like, you, you okay in there? And the narrator's like, want to get away? This is not that. <laughs> this is not Jonah clumsily stumbling into an awkward situation that he wants to escape through, through cheap airfare. God has clearly told him where to go and what to do, and he flat out refuses. Like, it's pretty clear to us, and it would have been even more clear to the original audience who would have been reading this, because they would have seen Jonah's decision here as flat out defiant disobedience to God. Like, all of us who have kids have, have had a two-year-old scream in our face defiantly, like, no, um, that's, that's Jonah here. That's what he's doing. He's playing the part of a two-year-old going, no, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do right now. Not only is he headed west instead of east, but the text implies that it's not like he just went down to Joppa and hopped on a boat and just to see what would happen. The text implies that in order for, for, for a person like this to travel in this time, scholars say that it's, it's likely that Jonah would have sold everything he had and emptied his bank accounts and rushed down to the docks to, to literally charter whatever boat was available to take him as far away as it could go, as fast as it could go, as soon as it could leave. Like that's what's happening here. Jonah's heart is running from the very grace of God that he's being called to proclaim. You know, it's so tempting for us to say, well, you know what, if, if, if God was as clear with me 
about what he wants me to do in my life as, as, he's, as he's been with Jonah here, uh, what, about what, what he wanted Jonah to do. I, I'd, never, I'd never do what Jonah did. Like, I, I give myself credit. Like, if it, God was really like black and white, if he wrote down a page, like, I, I, I'd nail this, I'd obey, I'd go do what God said. And so that every single one of us has to ask ourselves the question, am I actually obeying what God clearly expects of me right now in light of the grace that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus? Or is my heart running from that grace and being disobedient to God's word? The reality is that we can get so distracted trying to figure out the, the big things of life, the, 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 the big things that we label as God's will for my life, as plans for what he wants for me. We can get so preoccupied trying to determine those things that we end up ignoring the fact that God has clearly laid out for us in his word what he expects for us in the little things. And the little things that he's given us, it's the normal everyday stuff. He's been pretty clear with that. Things like Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. 1 Peter 3.7, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, how are you doing with that? Are you being patient with your wife? Are you obeying what God's word about what it means to be a godly husband? For those, that are, for those of us that are parents, things like Ephesians 6.4, where it says, fathers, and let me just extend that all to, to all parents right now, uh, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, how are you doing right, with that right now? Are you angrily punishing your kids right now because they're being kids and they're home from school in the summer and you're trying to get some stuff done? Or are you, are you offering patient, firm, godly discipline? Listen, the point of bringing those verses up is not to like crack the whip and say, hey, let's, let's, let's nail this, let's do better at this. No, the, the point is that, that Christ has been our example and he's in our empowerment to do this. He's, he's given us everything we need to accomplish this if we will rest in his grace. Yeah, I know easier said than done, but it's what God's called us to. See, the gift of God's word is a grace to us in and of itself in that it, is it provides for us guardrails and guidance for the Christian life. The question is, the question I asked you, are you leaning into the grace of God's word or are you running away from it? Are you leaning in or are you running away? Friends, when God's word is crystal clear like it was to Jonah, lean in and live by it. Where it's less clear and there's wiggle room for disagreements among brothers and sisters in Christ, then lean in and exercise biblical wisdom. Where, where scripture is silent on, on different things, enjoy the freedom that has been given you in Christ, but do so remembering that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. But don't run from grace. Don't be disobedient to God's word. Resolve to, to submit yourself to scripture no matter where it takes you or what it costs you. Doesn't matter if you've been faithful in the past, let's be faithful now. Jesus has empowered us to do this. He's redeemed us to do this. First, the attitude of a heart that's running from grace is disobedient to God's word. Second, a heart that's running from grace is indifferent to God's discipline. A heart that's running from grace is indifferent to God's discipline. If you still have your Bibles open to Jonah chapter one, would you look with me at verses four through 10? The narrator goes on. He says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And Jonah said to, or they said one to another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah's running from grace on the boat to Tarshish and this narrator who's, who's, who's telling us what's going on, he gives us a little behind the scenes look at what's going on. Jonah's directly disobeyed God's word and now God is, is pursuing him and disciplining his, his servant. Let's just be really clear here. Discipline's not a word we, we like, but the point of all good and right and godly discipline is not to punish someone with anger, it's to restore them with grace. It's to, to put someone back on track, not to kick them while they're down. It's about grace. We fail in that all the time as, as parents, but God is the perfect parent. Again, grace. When we disobey God, how, how gracious is it of him not to just leave us to our own devices, not to just let us go and, and end up in destruction on our own. How, how gracious of him is it to actually discipline us, to move us towards repentance and, and set us back on the path of obedience. Really as to pull him back, pull us back towards himself. Proverbs 3 tells us the Lord disciplines those he loves. Again, God graciously pursues us even when our hearts are far from him. So the narrator says that the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And this is just one of the many places in the book of Jonah where we see God's full sovereignty on display. And that wind caused a storm, a storm so strong that the, the ship that's kind of being personified here, it says the ship threatens to break up. Like this inanimate object is threatening to, 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 to break apart. It's almost as if this, this, this thing that has no brain or no arms or anything like, it, it would rather break apart and be destroyed than be on the receiving end of God's discipline. It's a storm so strong that even these tough, experienced sailors who probably would have weathered countless storms in their careers are scared out of their minds. Like they think this is it for them. So they start like grabbing things and throwing it overboard to, to try to lighten the load and, and, and try to make their way out of this thing. And, and before they do that though, uh, these pagan polytheists start like running down their list in their, in their notebook of all the gods they can think of, trying to figure out uh, which one of these gods controls this thing. Like how do we turn this thing off? But meanwhile, verse five says that Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. We read that, we're like, Really, like really, Jonah? How? What, what's going on here? What are you? What are you doing? You've got to be kidding me! Like seriously, in the middle of all of this, and what's going on outside with this with this storm? Like you're down here asleep? Like how much Dramamine did you take, Jonah? Like this is ridiculous. I don't even know how you're pulling this off, but you should probably wake up right now. That's the captain's response to what he sees going on here. He finds Jonah and tells him to get up and start praying to his God too. He doesn't even know who's, who Jonah's God is, but probably in his mind, he's like, every little bit helps. So, so Jonah, get up and start praying. And I find it incredibly ironic. That the pagan captain of the ship is now the one who is urging the prophet of God to start praying, to return to his God. But an even more important question for us is this, how quickly does our own 
outright disobedience to God's word turn to comfortable indifference to God's discipline. So often we're exactly like Jonah here when he's fast asleep. We know we're disobeying God's word. We know we're not doing what we should. There's no question about that in our minds, but, but somehow we're able to push our discipline, our, our disobedience and God's discipline from our minds and just try to move on with life like nothing, like nothing ever happened and, and we're just gonna ignore the whole thing and move on like nothing happened. In fact, we get so good at that uh, that, that ignoring our own sin and being indifferent to God's discipline that we can even convince ourselves sometimes that the very disobedience that we're engaging in is actually God's will for our lives. Like we could pull that off in our minds and convince ourselves that we're right about everything. I mean, the text doesn't say this, but let's, let's use our, our sanctified imagination for a few minutes here. Like, let's think about this for a second. Imagine for a second, if, if somewhere between verses 22 and 3, uh, the, imagine Jonah trying to convince himself that he was doing the right thing. Imagine him saying to himself, you know what, I, I know it, it really sounded like God wanted me to go to, to Nineveh. It sounded like, I know I thought that at the time, but I'm kind of questioning that now. It doesn't, just doesn't seem to add up for me. And I'm, I'm way more comfortable with Tarshish. Like, let's be real here. There's, there's ministry opportunities over there too. It's a, it's a way better culture. It's way more open to the gospel. Like, it's just more conducive to what I want to do. And so, so I, I think God really might be wanting me to go over there. Like, I, I feel more comfortable with that. So, I, you know, Tar- Tarshish is it. Like, guys, guys, would you pray for me as I, as I, as I head off to Tarshish to, to start my ministry there? Would you, would you pray for me? I think God's, God's in this. It's going to be a great thing. And then we can even convince ourselves sometimes that our, our circumstances are, are confirming our false feelings. Jonah could have said, you know what? After emptying my bank account and selling my house and, and, and liquidating all of my resources, I, I think that God's provided enough finances for me to go start my new ministry in Tarshish. Like, I, th- I think it's really, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go down to the port. I'm gonna see what happens, see if God really confirms this. And, then, and so then he, he goes down there and he gets to, tar- to, gets to Joppa and he says, look, God's got a boat waiting for me. Like, it's available. It's here. God, God's working. I see it. And then, and then he could have said, look, they've got tickets available. And they're, they're within my budget, first class even. Like, I'm, this is, I'm gonna ride this out. God's really blessing me here. I, I, I see it. And you know what? It leaves in 15 minutes. I don't even have to get a hotel room tonight. Like, God is so in this thing. And then, and then I can imagine him getting on board, settling into his bunk at night, falling asleep with a smile on his face and all the warm, fuzzy feelings imaginable inside, thinking this is just working out so well. God must be in this. This must be God's will for my life. And then pulling out his, his Instagram and like hashtag blessed. Like, I can see him doing that. But no, Jonah, that's not how this works. God doesn't ignore our disobedience just because it fits better within our desires. No, he graciously and relentlessly pursues us even when our hearts are far from God. That's what he's doing with with Jonah. And even as Jonah's running from grace and being disobedient to God's word, God's coming after him. And yet in the middle of this storm, while the sailors are up on the the top deck, freaking out and fearing for their lives, Jonah is fast asleep down below, completely indifferent to God's discipline, not caring at all about what's going on outside. One commentator said this, you can be rebelling against God and still have a false sense of security that includes a good night's sleep. Friends, that ought to cause us to check ourselves, ask ourselves, humble ourselves before the Lord. God, what am, I, what am I doing in my life right now that you don't want me to do, that I'm convincing myself is right? God, God, show me your way. 
We've been teaching our kids lately that to obey means to do what you're told right away and all the way. Well, Jonah should have never lost sight of the fact that the word of Lord, the Lord had come to Jonah saying, arise and go to Nineveh. And that doing anything other than exactly that right away and all the way would have been direct disobedience, regardless of how easy that disobedience came. But at this point, he's completely indifferent to God's discipline. He doesn't care. He's just living his life. He's navigating through the choices. He's, he's making his way completely indifferent to God's discipline. And friends, that's a very scary place to be. But how often do we do the same thing? How often do we run from grace and remain indifferent to God's discipline as he pursues us? How often do we find ways to justify all kinds of decisions in our lives uh, that, in order to preserve our own happiness and comfort while we ignore the, the quiet but incredibly clear conviction and direction of the Holy Spirit? It's so easy to do. And the dangerous thing is the more that you do it, the quieter that conviction will seem and the more convincing your justifications will become and the easier your running will get. Friends, there's a lot of wiggle room in God's word for decisions about things in life like where to live, who to marry, where to work, what, what friends to have and how to spend your time. But on the outside edges of that wiggle room we're given in God's word are guardrails for God's people. And the closer that we get to those guardrails, the less wise we're probably being and for sure, the closer to sin we're getting, and, and, and hopefully, the more uncomfortable we're becoming about the whole thing. But the problem is, the more that we convince ourselves that we're fine with how we spend our time on the weekends, and that we, we convince ourselves, you know what, uh, I'm fine hanging around those friends. They don't, they don't have that much influence over me. That I know they don't walk with the Lord, but, but I'm fine. I can handle it. And the, the more that I, we convince ourselves that, uh, that you know what, it, I, I just I need that better paying but less ethical job. The more I convince, we convince ourselves that, 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 that we're, we're fine, uh, that there's not a whole lot of options on the other side of the guardrail, on, on this side of the guardrail for who to marry that would be honoring to the Lord. So we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna settle and, and just hope for the best. The more we convince ourselves of things like that, the more comfortable we'll become walking on the other side of the guardrail outside of the bounds of what's acceptable for a follower of Jesus Christ the more indifferent to God's discipline will become over time. It's a slow fade. And once we've reached that point of indifference, we can easily convince ourselves that our sinful choices are actually what God wants for us, regardless of the fact that we know what God's word says. And we're sensing the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And we're hearing the, 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 the cautions of God's people. So friends, we gotta be careful. We must live wisely and submit ourselves to God's word. We're living in a time and a culture that prioritizes personal experience over God's word, a lot of times even within the church. So Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on this passage, says this. He says, at such times, the church is always in danger of losing sight of the fact that God communicates his will fundamentally and primarily through his word. It is a mistake to look for God's guidance in more immediate and mystical ways through subjective impressions on our spirits, through circumstances, through quote-unquote signs. Jonah's error teaches us not to be guided by providences when you are refusing to be guided by God's word. Do not take the events of your daily life as your instructor when you have not taken God's word as a lamp to your feet and a light 
to your path. So friends, I'm not saying that at all, that, that, that at times God doesn't burden us specifically and call us directly to certain tasks and places in, in ways that, that are not written in black and white ink on, on the pages of God's word. But what I am saying is that if what you think he's calling you to or the people he's calling you to be around or the, the things he's calling you to do, if those things are in, in contrast to what God's word clearly says, then he's flat out not calling you to that. I guess just the reality, we can be sure of that. But back on the boat, the sailors want to figure out whose fault this storm is. So, so they cast lots, and, and, and like shocker of the universe, the, the lots fall on Jonah. In the middle of this storm, as the boat's rocking back and forth, and waves are crashing over the side, and they run to him like a million questions. Like, like tell, us, tell us whose fault this is. What's your occupation? Where are you from? Who are your people? And, and Jonah's, Jonah's answer to that like, just completely cracks me up. <laughs> Jonah, as they're asking him these questions, has the audacity to say, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who, who made the sea and dry land. Let me just like stop for a second right there. I'm like, no, you don't, Jonah. <laughs> no, you don't. Like, you're all talk right now. You don't fear the Lord or you wouldn't be on this boat right now. You don't fear the Lord or you wouldn't be running from grace. You don't fear the Lord or you'd be doing sermon prep in a coffee shop in Nineveh right now. Like, you don't fear the Lord because people who fear the Lord don't make habits of doing things like this. They submit themselves to what God wants for them because God has saved them through Christ. See, Jonah's fear of the Lord and his respect for God of the universe was all theological. It was all up here, but it, but it didn't impact his life. It didn't push him to proper action. It didn't push him to obedience. He had belief, but he didn't have behavior. So here's the audience participation part of the sermon. Everybody go like this real quick. Uh, so... I didn't learn a whole lot in Baptist history when I was in seminary, partly because the class started at 7.30 in the morning. But one thing that I did learn from my, from my professor, Dr. Keith Harper, was this. This is belief. This is behavior. They're connected. We see that. And if you study church history, if you study how, how God's worked throughout time, as long as belief and behavior, according to God's word, are both happening in the life of a church, things are going great. Fantastic. God's working. They're being salt in life. The mission's being accomplished. But... If you take one of those away, the whole thing starts to fall apart. And the church starts to fumble the mission they've, they've, they, they've been given to, to, to accomplish. And that's what Jonah's doing here. He's, he's, he's taking away the behavior part of it. And even the sailors recognize that. They recognize that something's off here and that there's a disconnect between Jonah's belief and his behavior. And those same <coughs> sailors that were afraid of the storm before are now exceedingly afraid of Jonah's God, and they're probably not too happy about the fact that they've been pulled into this scenario of being in the middle of his discipline on Jonah's life. But still, we can't lose sight of the fact of how, how gracious it is that God is pursuing Jonah with discipline instead of just killing him off, instead of just letting him go and just live his life and do whatever he wants. God is graciously pursuing him. How gracious of it is it of God to keep pursuing us even when we're indifferent to his discipline? This discipline is grace. So again, the question is, will you lean into it or will you continue to run away from it? Will you submit yourself to God's word and the convictions of his spirit or will you ignore it all and just keep pressing forward with what you want to do, with what makes you happy, with what's most convenient for you? Again, at this point in the passage, Jonah, Jonah still doesn't care what God thinks. 
He's still running from grace, but we can, we can learn from his mistake. He's still being disobedient to God's word. He's still being indifferent to God's, God's discipline. And number three this morning, a heart that's running from grace is unrepentant for sin. A heart that's running from grace is unrepentant for sin. One last time, look back with me at verses 11 through 17 of Jonah chapter 1. Story goes on. It says, then they, that's the sailors here, it says, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The storm is for sure not letting up here. Winds are getting stronger. Waves are getting bigger. God's in hot pursuit of his disobedient prophet his, and his, his, his indifferent heart. He's, God's coming right after him, and, and, and that should bring us to the question of what's the proper response from Jonah here? Like, how should Jonah respond to God's discipline? He should respond in repentance. Jonah needs to fall flat on his face before God and, and repent for what he's doing. But instead of doing that, Jonah and the sailors try to fix this thing on their own, try to find their own solution to this. Like, literally, the next thing that the sailors say in verse 11 is, how do we fix this? What do we have to do to make this stop? How can we, what's the solution we can apply right here? And, and Jonah just looks at them and says, look, look, we, we know this is my fault. I'll own it. It's between me and God. You guys had nothing to do with this. So here's the solution. Just throw me overboard and it'll all stop. Like heave ho, boy, let's, 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 let's get this over with. Just throw me in, hand me a snorkel. Let's, let's get this over with. But here's what we've got to see here. This is what I was blown away by this week. The, the important distinction that we've got to see here is this. By telling the sailors to throw him overboard, Jonah's not repenting. Sure, he's confessing. He's owning what he did. He's saying it was his fault to some extent. He's finally, he's finally thinking clearly about his disobedience. And sure, those are all good things, but he's not repenting. So how often do we do that with our own sin? Sure, we'll sit and we'll tell God what we've done when we pray, like he somehow doesn't already know. Maybe if we're bold, we'll sit down with our spouse and tell them what we've been hiding from them for years. Maybe we'll work up the courage to let a friend or an accountability partner in on our secret sin. Maybe we'll even seek some counseling from, from a pastor or, or a friend. And, and, and please hear me though, all of that can be done without repentance. That's what Jonah's doing here. He's short-circuiting the process. He's trying to confess without repent. Confession and repentance are two sides of the same coin. One without the other is incomplete. Repentance isn't just admitting what we've done by saying it out loud. That's confession. Repentance is a change of direction. 
It's saying I was wrong, but that's not where it stops. Repentance is admitting that I've sinned and made a mess of my life, but, but, but I'm going to allow the God of the universe who has been pursuing me and disciplining me by his grace, I'm going to allow him to catch me and change me by his grace. See, God in his infinite grace is constantly pursuing us, and when we've finally been humbled by the Holy Spirit's conviction, we can stop running and, and go to him with a, a humble heart and in any time, in any place, even on the deck of a boat in the middle of a storm. So Christian friends, when you know you've sinned, when you know you're disobeying God's word and, and, and you're finally no longer indifferent to God's discipline, let me just say run, do not walk, run towards God's grace with a repentant heart and allow yourself to be caught and changed by your savior. Like Jesus has already paid the price for everything that you've done. Like we know that in the gospel, he's already, he's already paid it. So, so the reality is, as Romans tells us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like if you will humble yourself and repent and return to the God who saved you, there is not so much of a, a sideways look or a finger wag or it's about, it's about time waiting for you. It's been paid for. But Jonah's heart is still hard and he's stopping halfway at confession without moving to repentance. The whole point of God's discipline is to restore us by his grace. But Jonah's still running from that grace. He's, he's confessing his sin, but he's not repenting of it. This is one of the biggest temptations we face when we're confronted with our own sin. We want a solution that saves us from having to deal with our hearts. So instead of running back to the gospel, instead of running towards the cross, we, we want a solution that saves us from having to deal with our hearts. So we, 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 we desperately hope that whatever we come up with will fix the problem or, or at least stop our sinful behavior. But God's after more than that in his children. He's after repentance and heart change, not behavior modification. That's why when it comes with, to, to things like struggling with, with, with pornography, our, our gut reaction is just, let's, let's install some internet software that's going to stop us from accessing those sites. And that might be an extremely valuable and wise uh, thing to do and a necessary step. But the reality is that no internet software can change your hearts. It can't fix the problem. Only repentance can, only grace can, only allowing yourself to be caught and changed by the, by the Savior who saved you, who, who died to pay it all, only that can change you. But that's not what Jonah's plan is here, at least yet. It's not what the sailors are trying to do here. They're trying to work harder, trying to fix things on their own. Like Jonah's solution is to say, yeah, I, I did it, but I'm not going to repent, so just throw me in. And, 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 but the, I love it that the, the sailors voted no on that plan. They had more compassion on Jonah's life than, than Jonah's having for all the hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh. The sailors are like, this guy's diagnosis of the problem might be right. Clearly he's running from the Lord. Clearly that, that might be causing this whole thing. But his prescription for how to solve this thing is, is clearly not the answer, at least in their minds. So they give working harder another try. They, they keep rowing harder and harder to make it back to Joppa, but it's, it's just not working. Why? Because God's making it clear to them that there's no solution to our sin other than humble repentance. You can't outrun, you can't outrow, you can't outwork God's discipline. You can't fix your own problems. God's in control here and he's graciously and relentlessly pursuing Jonah's heart. But for Jonah, repentance is going to have to come on the other side of the boat. We'll get to that later, but the sailors call out to the Lord, Yahweh, Jonah's God, because they want to make sure that he, they're innocent in this whole thing before they throw him overboard. They're starting to recognize God for who he is. And they said, you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
Like, God, we're, we're seeing it. You're the one who's in control. You're the one who's, who's doing everything. And they, they throw Jonah in, and they throw him overboard, and everything stops. It says they feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Love this. That even in Jonah's rebellion, God's working. He's revealing himself to a bunch of pagan polytheistic sailors. What a big God. That even in our disobedience, he's, he's working around us to, to reach people, to show grace. Let me just say the fear that they're experiencing here is a different fear from the fear of the storm. This is a fear that's now moving them towards repentance, even when Jonah's running from it. Scholars debate whether or not what we're actually witnessing here is the actual conversion of these sailors in verse 16. Some say it's clear that now they're calling on the one true God and being saved, and others say they're probably just like adding him to their, their long list of, of gods that they pray to. And, and I've got to say, the text doesn't specifically say either way, but I'm usually the pessimist, but I, wanna, I really want to think that along with the theme of the book of Jonah, what I think we're, what we're seeing here is the, the true conversion of these men calling out to the Lord in repentance and saving faith. But whatever you think is happening here, one thing is true for sure. Make no mistake, God is being glorified. He's being worshipped, even if it wasn't from the prophet who should have been worshipping him all along, even if it's from other people, God is being glorified. He is being worshipped. Verse 17 shows us one last time from this chapter that God is both gracious and sovereign. It says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. It's not some freak accident. It's not some fish, some giant fish was swimming by and was hungry that day and, and, and decided to, to, to take a snack with Jonah. But God sent that fish in his grace to save the life of his disobedient servant from drowning in the middle of the ocean. It's grace. God's not done with Jonah yet. He graciously and relentlessly pursues us even when our hearts are far from him. So can I ask you this morning, how's your heart before the Lord right now? Is it soft and tender, or is it hard and running from grace? Maybe you're here this morning and you're tempted to say, well, you know, Jonah's in the Old Testament. God's, God's not like that anymore. He doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. There's, there's more wiggle room for us today when it comes to obeying some ancient book. Like, I can, I can do what I want. Just remember Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says this to his followers, or those who claim to be, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the, the stream broke out against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. God still takes sin seriously, even among his people. Even when we've already placed our faith in Jesus alone for salvation, that's not a license for us to disobey God's word. If anything, it should be a motivation to us out of gratefulness and thankfulness to the, the, to the God who has saved us through grace to obey him and, and, and thank him for what he's done for us. But disobedience warrants God's discipline Nothing slips past God, God's eyes unnoticed. So even when our hearts are far from him, he graciously and relentlessly pursues us to move us towards repentance and get us back on track before that ruin comes. 
opportunity for repentance is a grace. So, so fellow Christian, I want to ask you one last time this morning, are you leaning in to that grace? Are you leaning in to repentance? Are you leaning in to God's word? Are you leaning in to the discipline of God through, through, through how he, however he's revealing that to you? Are you leaning into it? Are you running from it? Right now, wherever you are, it's not too late and you're never too far gone to, to, to run towards grace. But don't take another disobedient step. Stop running, repent, and return to the God of grace who has given you everything in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with him, let me just tell you, there is a God of grace who loves you so much that even in your own running, even in your own rebellion, even in your, your own rejection of God, he sent his son to come to this earth to live the perfect life and die for you because of grace. And then he rose from the dead three days later after, after dying on the cross and, and paying the penalty for your sin. He, he, he rose from the dead. And if you would just admit your need for a savior and, and believe and, can, and can confess that he is the one who died for you and, and say, I need that, he'll do it. He'll save you. He'll extend his grace to you. The invitation is open now. So I would just challenge you, if you're here this morning and you've, you've never done that, don't leave here this morning without running towards grace. If you have any questions about that, I mean, we'd love to talk with you after the service. But don't run from grace. Lean into it. Let's pray as the worship team comes. Father, thank you so much for your grace. It is so undeserved by all of us, all of the time. Even when we're at our best, we do not deserve your grace. Even when we're claiming to follow you, even when we're claiming to serve you, Father, we fall short all the time. Anywhere from the scale of from accidentally falling short to outright rejection and rebellion like we see Jonah doing in this book. So God, help us. Catch us by your grace and change us by your grace. Because we cannot change ourselves. We cannot work harder to solve our problems. We cannot row harder against the storm of your discipline. We need you to change us. Would you do that? Would you convict us of sin? Would you speak loudly through your spirit to where you want us to be in our lives, what you want us to do? And then empower us by that same grace to live out as faithful followers of you because you've redeemed us and you've given us everything and you've empowered us to do so. Would you do that? Would you keep pursuing us when we need it and be glorified in the worship that we give now? In Jesus' name, amen.